0: In chapter 2 and this morning we're going to look at the corrupt church the corrupt church and that corrupt church was Thyatira now Thyatira was a small town but it had really really big problems Thyatira was originally founded as a shrine to the sun god Tiramis Whose description was basically the description of Jesus here in verse 18. Though Thyatira is not well known in history, it gained a reputation as a working class town, a blue collar town, where the trade unions—well, they were—they were associations of merchants, which were basically guilds, probably pretty well known today as, as unions. So I'm going to call them unions for. Uh, for, uh, because of again the, the meaning of the words and what it speaks about here, like I said, they were um, the, the Thyatira wasn't a well-known uh, town in history or uh, place in history, and it was a working-class town. It had trade unions. You had to belong to these associations of merchants if you wanted to have a job, and so these trade unions stood at the center of social and religious life. Now these unions created a problem, though the church in Thyatira. Because membership in a trade union came with pagan religious obligations. And if you refuse to join a union, it could mean you were out of a job, thus giving up your livelihood. So the Christians of Thyatira, they found themselves in a no-win situation because, again, it included idolatry and ritual immorality in temple worship. So the question for the believer was this. Do I join the union in order to continue my livelihood and just go with the flow? Just allow it to go and just to tolerate what's what's going on? Or do I take a stand and I possibly lose my job and my livelihood? Because that's a stand that we need to know where we're going to stand if we ever come to that place, which uh, it seems to be coming closer and closer. Chuck Swindoll, in his opening to, again, the corrupt church, in his uh, book on Revelation, said this. Over the last several decades, tolerances have become one of the greatest, or I should say tolerance has become one of the greatest virtues. In other words, live and let live. Just let everybody live their happy lives, and you know, as long as you don't bother me, I won't bother you. Do what you want, it's okay. He says, I'm not talking about the old-fashioned tolerance, a principle on which all good societies are built. Old tolerance meant that Even though you outright disagreed and disapproved of somebody's beliefs, values, and lifestyle, you still stuck to your own point of view and accepted the rights of others to believe and live as they choose. In other words, you didn't want to go back into the dark ages, grab your pitchforks and your torches, and riot against people with different opinions. As long as they were acting within the confines of the law, their views as strange as they may seem, uh, uh, were tolerated. He says, what I'm calling tolerationism is a difference altogether. Now, he says, today, instead of putting up with attitudes and actions that we strongly disagree with, society are more and more expected to accept and approve and support everybody's lifestyles. Every strange idea... And every deviant, perverse behavior is looking to be declared as normal alternatives. In this kind of a society, absolute truth in the area of religion and ethics loses more and more ground every single day. How could there be such a thing as truth if everybody's contradictory opinions are given equal values? Once again, he says, I'm not in favor of bashing and silencing people I I disagree with. But I also don't want to be bashed in silence because I disagree. And if you look at TV, <clears throat> if you pay close attention to TV programs or movies, you'll see that much of the virtue of tolerance has been slanted. A culture that tolerates evil calls disagreement a phobia. If you take a stand, it's considered hate. Somebody said, and we need to take this to heart. Somebody said, it doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter what the politicians or the mob say. It doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something wrong is right. This nation was founded on one principle above all else. The requirement that we stand for what we believe, no matter what the odds against us are or the consequences. And when the mob and the media and the world, whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. That's the stand that we are to take in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not moving from our stand. Conviction is what we believe. Conviction now in what you believe is seen as bigoted, bigoted fanaticism. Brad is the president of Pacific Justice, who said, one way tolerance is not tolerance, but tyranny. Centuries-old Christian doctrines are regarded as discrimination today. And here's the article I wanted to read to you. The the headlines were, Canada bans Christianity from the classroom. Canada's Supreme Court has banned Christian schools and colleges from teaching biblical values because the Bible does not support the Trudeau government. I'm sorry, the uh, the Trudeau government's vision of diversity and is therefore harmful to LGBT and Muslim students. Instead, Canada's schools have been encouraged to adopt common core values, such as ordering children as young as six years old to question their sexual orientation, as, and again, to question their sexual orientation and gender identity, while teaching them six, six years old, teaching them how to use a range of vegetables as sex toys and promoting anal sex as normal. You see, it's not normal, but they say they want to promote it as as normal. Can you imagine your six-year-old, my granddaughter, six years old, teaching them about using certain vegetables as sex toys and teaching them that anal sex is normal? It's It's here. And we as a church need to know where we're going to stand against this stuff. Are we going to allow it, tolerate it, and just go with the flow? The article goes on, Christian colleges and universities will be stripped of their accreditation if they continue to promote biblical standards and values. In other words, the highest Canadian court has ruled that Christianity and education are incompatible. That's where we are today, folks. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you soon. As in many doctrinally weak churches today, this situation of tolerance also existed in the ancient church of Thyatira. In Jesus' letter to that church, he addressed the issue of big sins in a small church and the even bigger issue of tolerating them. A.W. Tosa said Blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be accountable. Or anything. Tolerance is the faith of those who believe nothing. The longest message from Jesus was sent to the church in the smallest city. Now Thyatira was a military town. As well as an industrial center with many trade unions. Wherever unions were found. The big two enemies of the early church were almost always present as well. Idolatry and immorality. The city was proud to have a special temple to Apollo, which was the sun god, which explains why the Lord Jesus Christ introduced himself here as the son of God. It's the only time that this title is used in the book of Revelation. You see, John had to deliver a severe message of warning and judgment to this congregation in Thyatira, which explains the description of the Lord's eyes and feet. The letter to the church at Thyatira starts the second group of messages to the churches of Asia. Now, in the first group, the church of Ephesus was described as being loyal to Jesus Christ, but it was lacking in love. It was the loveless church. In the church of Smyrna, their loyalty was tested by the fire of persecution. It was the persecuted church. In the church of Pergamos, the loyalty was lacking in moral passion. They compromised. It was the compromising church. And yet in all three of those churches, were true, they were true to the faith. They hadn't given in to the attacks of evil. But now here in the case of the church of Thyatira, like the churches in Sardis and Laodicea, the situation was a lot more serious. Here in Thyatira, it wasn't just a small group of people that just didn't care. But you see, many of them had actually just given in Many of the church members had given in to the discouraging influences of false teaching, and they tolerated what was going on, which is happening in many churches today. They give in. They tolerate the wicked that is going on in this world. There's an increasing evil in the character of these seven churches as they represent being influenced more and more by evil. That downward spiral reached its lowest point at Laodicea. Thyatira was located in a long valley. It was a city built for defense. But most cities were built for defense on a hill or a high point, And walls were then built around them. But Thyatira was different. Thyatira stood in the middle of that valley on a very slight rising ground. Its strength lay in the fact that Rome stationed the elite guard there. Thyatira was the center of operations for many ancient unions, the potters' union, tanners, weavers, robe makers, and dyers' union. It was the center of the dyeing industry, you know, when they, they dyed cloth. So now, let's look at verse 18 of chapter 2. And Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Like Jesus did in all all his seven messages to the churches of Asia Minor, he makes reference to himself to the church in Thyatira in terms relevant to the church's specific situation. As the divine Son of God, Jesus Christ sees everything. Nothing can be disguised. Nothing can be covered up. Nothing can be hidden from the Lord's eyes. He sees it all. A church might feel good about itself, it might think it has a good reputation in the community or even with other churches. But the all eyes, the all seen eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ sees that church as it really is. And I wonder what Jesus sees when he looks at our church this morning. The description of his feet as being like fine brass is a reminder of chapter 19 verse 15 of revelation where it says this he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty god the picture the, the this pictures here the son of god in judgment the way he's described here it pictures jesus christ in judgment it says here his eyes are like a flame of fire searching them out and his feet are like fine brass which represents judgment, Christ is judging this church, Thyatira. And this scary description of the Lord Jesus Christ, it must have shocked them. It must have worried them. It must have scared them. When this letter was read to the congregation at Thyatira. It came as a wake-up call to them. And it should be a wake-up call to all sinning Christians this morning. That Jesus will judge Continued, unrepentant sin. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 17, judgment begins at the house of God. Verse 19, Jesus goes on to say, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. The Lord's emphasis was on their works. The believers in Thyatira, they were busy bees. Boy, they were active. They were involved in sacrificial ministry for the sake of others. Not only that, their works were increasing and they were and they were characterized by faith, love and patience. So you see, the church wasn't guilty of just religious business. Their loving service was becoming more consistent and their faithful perseverance was growing stronger. They were growing in grace. They were maturing in their Christian lives. And they were moving forward in the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus commended them for this. He said, way to go. But even though Jesus commended them for this, all was not good with the church at Thyatira. Now, works are good and works are healthy in their right place. But they become a danger when they come between the servant and the master, when my works interfere with my relationship with Christ. We got to be careful about that. A.W. Toza said it would be a shock to most of us to learn just what God thinks of our breathless activity and a greater shock to many to find out what the true quality of our service is as God sees it. When God sees our service, what does he really see? Are we doing what we want to do? Or are we doing what God wants us to do? Understand that worship, worship, when you read it in the word of God, comes before service. God is looking for worshipers more than workers. Our work is a result of worship. Worship in the word of God comes before service. Jesus says, come, before he says, go. And when you see Jesus call his his 12 disciples to himself, he calls them to himself, he prepares, them, he equips them, and then he says, go. Come and then go. Come to me. And then go into service. Jesus had to tell Martha, who was upset because she felt that she was left to do all the work while Mary just sat at the Lord's feet. Jesus had to tell Martha this. Martha, Martha. You're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and we need to become one thing people. And that's Jesus people. He said, Martha. One thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. We need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is looking for worship from his people. All he could find in this church in Thyatira was dead works. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you notice the word allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. The church of Thyatira had turned into a breeding ground of heresy. And that's what will happen if you allow false teaching. And with regard to the historical time of the Dark Ages, which the church of Thyatira represents, pagan practices and idolatry were mixed with Christian works and worship. It was allowed. Notice the tolerance, the compromise. Jesus said, you allowed that to happen. The papacy, which is the office of Pope, was elevated to a place of secular power and rulership under Gregory I and later by Gregory VII, better known as Hildebrand. The introduction of rituals and church doctrine replaced personal faith in Jesus Christ. Look, it works over a relationship. Worship of Mary and the Mass were made a definite part of the church service. Purgatory became a positive doctrine and Mass was said for the dead. As Jezebel killed Naboth and persecuted God's prophets, so the Roman church set up the inquisition during this time period. You see here, the problem wasn't persecution from the outside. It was compromise on the inside. The problem wasn't vicious wolves from the outside attacking the flock, but perverse people from inside the flock. First, there was a tolerant, non-judgmental attitude in this church, which we see today more than ever before. Jesus said here, notice in verse 20, he said, because you allow, notice the word allow, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. This applies to us today just the same. Are the churches allowing compromise? Are they allowing false doctrine? Are they allowing the culture of the world to come into the church and approve approve it? Because we are living in a very so-called tolerant time. Good is called evil and evil is called good. Everybody has to be allowed today to do their own thing. And you are to accept it. This is the age of relativism. What's good for me may not be good for you, and what's good for you may not be good for me. But you know what? Just do it, and we'll everybody will be happy. Don't, don't bother anybody. Let them do what they feel is right. Just don't, you know, bother me with it. This is the age of relativism. Ethical truths depend on the individuals holding them. When it comes to morals and syncretisms in in religion, syncretism is different forms of religious belief or practice. In other words, the best of different churches, bringing it into your religion, just mixing it all together. There are no absolutes today. So whatever feels good, just do it. Nothing is taboo. Nothing is off limits anymore. This spirit, this attitude has gotten into the church. If you condemn a belief as heresy today, oh man, you'd be called intolerant. Or bigoted or unloving. Prejudiced, narrow-minded. But if you accept anything in the name of Christian love, oh, and see, and that's where, how many times have you heard when you want to discipline somebody in the church or you boot somebody out of the church because they won't repent and they want to go on living in this? Oh brother, where's your love? Where's your love? If you accept anything in the name of Christian love that isn't godly, it's an attitude that's not biblical. Understand that. It's not biblical. It's not of the word of God. Love will never override the word of God. Love will never override evil when Bible says that evil will be judged. It is condemned. It's important that we understand that. If you accept anything in the name of Christian love, it's an attitude that's not biblical. It's not of the word of God. Tolerance. Somebody said tolerance is the faith of those who believe nothing. And if you believe nothing, that means you'll stand for anything. So you'll fall for anything. The strongest language in the Bible is saved for those who depart from the revealed truth of Scripture. There was an influential person in this church in Thyatira, that woman, Jezebel. Now, the name says it all for those who know their Bible, because the Old Testament Jezebel, she was a scheming individual. Jezebel undoubtedly was not this false prophetess's real name. But like the notorious wife of King Ahab, she was Satan's instrument to corrupt God's people here. So the Lord branded her with the symbolic name Jezebel. Now, the Old Testament Jezebel was an indescribably uh, depraved woman. So much so that the Bible says marrying her was the most evil thing that King Ahab did. Listen to 1 Kings 16, 30-31. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any of the kings before him and as though it were not enough to follow the bad example of jeroboam he married jezebel the daughter of king ethbaal of the sidonians and he began to bow down in worship of baal through jezebel's evil influence baal worship became widespread in israel his father was a her father was a pagan king and she brought with her into israel the very worst kind of heathenism And like her Old Testament counterpart, the woman in Thyatira, who falsely called herself a prophetess, succeeded in leading Christ's people, his servants, uh, astray so that they committed acts of immorality and they ate things sacrificed to idols. The worship of God was pushed aside and replaced with this gross immorality and idolatry. Purity and holiness became a thing of the past. And every kind of lewdness and lust was exalted. And it was praised as a ritual of religion. Jezebel's pagan priests came down to the land like an army. And the saints were slaughtered by the sword. And Jezebel's spiritual heir and successor was in the church of Thyatira. This woman that Jesus is talking about. She was the main source of all of the trouble in Thyatira, the church of Thyatira. By allowing this woman to take over the leadership in their church, the believers at Thyatira were wrong in three ways. First, they were wrong in principle. Jesus said here, notice, You allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce. The New Testament principle is clear on women teaching and overseeing men. First Timothy, chapter two, verses 12 through 14, Paul said, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence for Adam was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived and fell into transgression. And when it says, and the women to be inside, it doesn't mean they're not to speak or anything, but they're not to teach men. The word of God teaches the headship of the man over the woman. Something that has its roots in the order of creation. That's the way God ordered it and created it. It's mandatory for the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven three. 3, here he sets up the authority structure. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Galatians 3, 28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there no, uh, slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So a man and woman in Christ, they're equal. They have equal opportunities in Christ as far as gifts of the Spirit and, and the relationship with God. But in life, they have different roles. So again, this is not a question of fair. Because some will say, well, that's not fair. It's not a question of fair. It's not a question of human rights. It's not a question of women's lib. Paul wasn't a male chauvinist. It's not a question of women being inferior to men. And Paul did not belong to the He-Man Woman Haters Club. It's a matter of the will of God. That's the way God set it up. The church at Thyatira was now wrong in precept. We just saw he was wrong in principle. It was wrong in precept. Jesus said of this woman that she led his servants astray. The thought is that of deception. Now, the scripture teaches that a woman is susceptible to error in spiritual things. And that's why scripture declares a woman is not to teach in the church. And when you go back to Eve, she was deceived. Adam disobeyed. The church at Thyatira was wrong in practice. Thirdly, Jesus said those who follow Jezebel commit sexual immorality and they eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, they were guilty of the most serious sins against man and God. Both of those sins are severely condemned in Scripture and both bring with them the greatest punishment. Look at verse 21. And, and notice no, no, what Jesus said here. See the grace. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Notice the grace. Many times the Lord's long-suffering and patience is misunderstood as approval or disinterest or unawareness. Just because God doesn't strike down wickedness at the moment it's taking place, don't mistake that for God's loving patience for approval. Think it's that God doesn't care, or he doesn't see, or he's not interested. Solomon said, just because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Ecclesiastes 8.11. People think because God doesn't, you know, bring judgment right at the time that the sin is committed or the wrong is done, that God doesn't care. That God just, hey, it's, it's not important to him. Because God doesn't execute judgment speedily. And because that's what men think, it says that their heart of the, of, of the, of the sons of men, they just they're just set on doing evil. God don't care, hey, I'm going to go for it. When a sin isn't punished right away, people feel like it's okay and they feel it's safe to do wrong. And yet we read in Psalm 75 too, God says, when I choose the proper time, notice, when I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. Judgment will come. But it's when God decides when it's going to come. You see, God holds back his hand of judgment from coming down on us just so that men may have the chance to repent. Repent. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But it seems like this woman who was causing all the trouble couldn't see God's hands of mercy. Though she was being successful and kept on spreading her wickedness. Verse 22 through 23. Jesus says of her, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless, notice, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who serves the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So it's no wonder Jesus was furious with this church and threatened them with the most serious punishment. Three times Jesus says, I will. Warning the church what he was going to do. Jesus makes three things known in his I wills. There's no doubt that Jesus is patient. Notice what he says in verse 22. I will throw her on a bed of suffering and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. Jesus talks about the possibility of repentance. Repentance. Our Lord would much rather pardon us than punish us. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. That's why he doesn't reach out and, you know, take us out right away. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Furthermore, the, real, the, the Lord is realistic in his judgment. Notice what he says in verse 23, his second I will. He says, I will strike her children with death. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. Judgment isn't used just to discipline. It's used to warn. First Timothy 520, Paul said those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. Why? This will serve as a strong warning to others. You see, there are lessons to learn from God's actions in judgment that have a helpful effect on those who see them. God's judgment on Jezebel and her friends was to be so that others would know that God did something, that God had acted, and that they would straighten out their crooked ways. And then lastly, the last I will, Jesus is perfect in judgment. He said, and I will give to each of you according to your works. No, according to whatever you deserve. I will give to you what you deserve. In Scripture, salvation is always dependent upon faith and judgment is always dependent upon works. You see, the Lord Jesus knows perfectly everything that we do. He knows why we do it. He knows where we do it. And he knows when we do it. And he knows the outcome. He knows how it's going to affect others. So you see, he's the only one who can give perfect judgment because it's based on his infinite knowledge, his omniscience Verses 24 through 29. Jesus, Jesus said, now I say to you now, I'm sorry. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes notice, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not everybody in the church of Thyatira took part in the wicked teachings and practices of Jezebel. There were those who stayed away. The Lord knows the difference between the true and the false believer. First, Jesus addresses the congregation of believers who didn't take part, who refused to take part in the cultic worship and practice. It seems that things were gone. Things were were too far gone for this small group of faithful people to be able to cope with the things that were going on there. So he tells them, he tells this faithful remnant, look guys, stay away from her. Stay away from the cult with the satanic doctrines and depths of evil and, and keep your good testimony until the time comes when I step in. The righteous weren't able to change what was going on because of the wicked ones that were there among them. They weren't able to hold back the flood of wickedness. Jezebel had gone too far and was too powerful. And all And all in all, she was too unbeatable for them. So they had to refuse to follow the crowd. Regardless, they had to refuse to follow the crowd. They held fast to the truth of Jesus Christ, even though no doubt they were mocked, criticized and understood. Boy, this is this is an exhortation to us this morning. Jezebel had gone too far and she was too powerful. Just like this world, man, it has gone too far and it is too powerful. But you know what? We are exhorted to refuse to follow the crowd. We are to hold fast to the truth of the word of God. No doubt we'll be mocked, we'll be criticized and misunderstood. And Jesus, notice this promise now, it's to the overcomer. It's promised to the overcomer at Thyatira. Thyatira. Power on earth. He said, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, also, uh, as also I have received from my Father. Jesus' words here look forward to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return to crush his enemies and set up his righteous kingdom on earth. The saints, the believers, are going to take part in that time when it comes. And it's clear that those who stand for God have power with him and with men. And Jesus promises the overcomer. Nobody else who promises the overcomer. He says, I will give him or her the morning star. And Jesus Christ is the bright morning star. Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16. The promise would be that believers will reflect Christ's glory and Jesus promised believers himself himself you get me that's what he's saying Jesus promised himself in all of his fullness and all of my glory you will you'll get me the one that we now know all right the one that we now know we know in part but then we're going to know fully just as also we have been known fully And Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These closing words are a command to pay attention to the message of this letter to the church at Thyatira. Final words. Three important truths stand out here. First, this letter shows us the seriousness of practicing and tolerating sin. And that God will judge continued unrepentant sin in the church. Secondly, a consistent life of obedience describes true Christians. Notice, a consistent life of obedience describes a Christian. Not that disobedience and obedience and that up and down walk. A consistent life of obedience describes true Christians. And lastly, God's merciful promise to his people is that no matter what happens... In our struggles with sin and error in, in, in churches, they will experience all the fullness of Christ as they rule and reign with Him in His kingdom. Churches like Thyatira that don't pay attention to this message, they're asking for God's judgment. And God will oblige them. He will judge them. He will judge those harshly and, and no doubt about it. He will oblige them, those who do, do pay attention to the message. He will give them his blessing. So those who disobey and ignore the message, God's going to judge them. He'll give them what they're asking for. But those who do pay attention the message given here, God is going to bless them. In light of the letter to Thyatira, we better make a decision today. We better know for sure today where we stand. We can't just breeze along and go with the flow and think everything that's, everything's going to be okay. Because, because the word of God is definite about who is going to receive the blessings of God and who's going to receive the judgment of God. You need to know where you fall in line this morning. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you so much for this wonderful letter, Lord. Wonderful in the sense that it's a wonderful, powerful message, Lord. It's wonderful for the believer. But not so wonderful for the unbeliever, Lord, or the tolerant Believer who tolerates evil and allows the evil. As the church of Thyatira allowed Jezebel to teach and seduce false doctrine. Lord, help us to know where we stand this morning, God. Are we just church goers? Do we just go to church or do we understand we are the church? Lord, are we just busy? About church. Busy about. Just being busy for God. Or do we worship him. Do we have a relationship with him. Do we know him. Do we sit at his feet. Or just run around looking religious. And being busy at nothing. Dead works. Lord, help us to know this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and and Savior, you need to know Him personally in a relationship. You will be judged for your unrepentant sin. You will spend eternity separated from God. So you need Him. And if you're and if you're a believer or claim to be a believer, you better know for sure where you stand in Christ this morning. It is not time to play games. The days are evil and the time is short. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of Worship. And if you heard what the Spirit had to say to the church and to you about Christ and sin and salvation, His saving grace, He's not willing that you perish. He's not willing that you go to hell. But to be with Him in in heaven for all eternity to have your sins forgiven as we worship. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get up out of your seat, you make your way towards the steps up front here, and I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray together. A beautiful, simple prayer of faith.